When you read the accounts of the resurrection, like the one that we read this morning from John's gospel, you notice that they're very straightforward and matter of fact. They, they do not read like myth or legend. They read just like a historical account. And, and that's because that's exactly what they are. Now, not everyone would agree that they don't read like, like myth or legend. And the reason for the disagreement would be because of what is actually recorded. And that is a resurrection. And to some people, that has to fall into the category of fantasy, into the category of fiction. But that's only if you take God out of the equation. But if you bring God into the equation, then a resurrection is entirely impossible. As, as a matter of fact, uh, Paul the Apostle, when he stood before King Agrippa, and as he sort of spelled out the gospel, he said this, he said, why would you think it a thing um, amazing or incredible that God should raise the dead? Good question. Why would we think it incredible that God should raise the dead? Of course, if, if there is a God, then this is completely feasible. But here's the question that we want to briefly address this morning. The resurrection, is it fact or is it fiction? Now think about this, if the resurrection, well, let me say this, to quote C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis said, if, if there is no resurrection, then Christianity is of no consequence. But if there is a resurrection, then Christianity is the most important thing in the universe. And he's absolutely right. You see, if the resurrection is not a fact, that would mean, really, that Jesus was a delusional person, and the Christian view of God and reality must be rejected. But, but think with me just for a second. If we were to just completely dismiss the Christian view of God and reality, what, what would we even be left with? Well, if we still wanted to allow for a God, putting aside Christianity, if we still wanted to allow for a God, we would be left with some of the other religions of the world, sometimes referred to as the great religions of the world. We would be left with Judaism. But what do we have with Judaism? Well, with Judaism, we have a God who's given us 
a massive list of commandments that are impossible to keep, not only because we are naturally opposed to them, but because they involve a sacrificial system with a priesthood and a temple ritual that went out of existence 2,000 years ago. So Judaism doesn't really help us. But of course, we also have the possibility of Islam. But when you look closely at Islam, what you find that it is really ultimately a glorification of Arabic culture. And with Islam, you have its demand of worldwide submission to Sharia law and the destruction of those who refuse to submit. Islam has always relied on the sword to advance its agenda from the very beginning and nothing's changed. So we've got the possibility that there's Judaism as the truth, there's perhaps Islam as the truth, but then of course there's Hinduism as well. And within Hinduism you have millions of gods and you have ritual and you have various things that one would devote themselves to, but, but in the end, everything is very vague and intangible. And then you have Buddhism. Buddhism is, in some senses, it's Hinduism without the gods. It's more of a philosophy, a philosophy of self mastery and mysticism, at least that's what it is in its uh, birthplace in the East. In the West, Buddhism is do-it-yourself spirituality. So, so those are the religious options that we have left if we jettison Christianity. Uh, but some would say, well, we don't even need the religious options because the whole problem in the world is the idea that there is a God and some people would opt for atheism. But if you opt for atheism, this is what you are opting for. That everything that is, is a cosmic accident. That there is no right or wrong, good or evil. Life ultimately is meaningless and within atheism, in the end, nothing really matters. So this is what we would be left with if we were to take the gospel, the Christian message out of the equation of life. But now think with me for just a moment about what we have if Jesus really did rise from the dead as he said that he would and as the scriptures testify that he did. Well, first of all, we would then have to agree that everything that Jesus said is true. Everything that he said is true. And when you think of the things that he said, you know, the interesting thing about Jesus, as some of you would know, is that Jesus 
preached himself. He did not point people so much to God. And the reason for that was because he is God. So he preached himself. And he said things like, I am uh, the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. He said, uh, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all of those things that he said are true. And then also everything that the Bible says is true because Jesus testified that heaven and earth would pass away, but not one jot or tittle of the scripture would pass until all is fulfilled. So we have that if Jesus really did rise from the dead. Also, what we would then take away is that there is a God who made us with a purpose and loves us. You see, this is unique to the Christian faith, to the biblical message, to the gospel itself, that there is a God who actually loves us. And this God who loves us demonstrated his love for us and that he sent his son into the world to die in our place so our sins could be forgiven and so we could be reconciled to God in order that we might live in joyous fellowship with him from now through all eternity. That's true if Jesus rose from the dead. And it's also true if Jesus rose from the dead that death does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. Death is not the end of the story for those who believe in Jesus. You know, death has about it this finality, doesn't it? There, there is that element of it where it just, it just seems so final. It's the end. It's over. But if the resurrection is true, then death does not have the final word. As a matter of fact, far from being the end of the story, death for the believer is really like the preface to the book. And from there, you go on into the first chapter. And on and on, chapter after chapter, where things just get better and better and better the longer you go. That's the case if Jesus did rise from the dead. So, again, is the resurrection fact or fiction? Why would people reject the resurrection? Well, as I've already hinted at, some say, well, it's a miracle and and miracles don't happen. And that's just a bias coming from a materialistic worldview. But, you know, one of the common objections to the resurrection 
is that the followers of Jesus just made this story up. But you know, whenever I hear those kinds of things, uh, of course, this time of year, you have all different kinds of people weighing in on, um, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus and whether or not it really happened or, uh, and all, all of the theories of why it probably didn't. But, but oftentimes, what is commonly said is that this was made up by his followers. But if you read the accounts themselves, you, you realize that that really couldn't have been the case. And in the passage that John read to us, did you notice this, that the disciples themselves were not expecting a resurrection? How could you make up something that you didn't even expect to happen? How could you make up something that you had no idea was going to happen? And we read right here in verse 9 of chapter 20, for as yet they did not know the scripture, he must rise from the dead. They didn't get it. And, and for those of you that have read through the gospels, you remember there were many occasions where Jesus would make a reference to the future, that the Son of Man would be betrayed, uh, that he would be turned over to the hands of evil men, that he would be beaten and, and mocked and scourged and crucified and he would die and three days later he would rise and the disciples would look at one another and say, what in the world does that mean? You see, in their minds, a Messiah couldn't die. So when Jesus spoke of, of this dying and rising again, they, it just didn't compute with them. And so the idea that they would have come up with this story just doesn't fit with the facts. As a matter of fact, as we read that first part there, um, you, you remember Peter and John, they, they run to the tomb. They don't, they're, they're not expecting. They weren't waiting at the tomb expecting. They only came to the tomb because Mary went back and gave them word that the stone had been rolled away. And as we read there, when they came to the tomb, it says that, that they went in, Peter went in, he looked, he studied the situation. John says regarding himself that, that he surveyed the situation. And when he saw there the, the grave clothes, that they were still there, but the body was gone, John said it was then. It was at that moment that he realized that the resurrection had taken place. So they couldn't have made up the story. Secondly, they wouldn't have included in the story, if they had made it up, they would not have included this whole thing of the women being the ones who first found the open tomb and then testified of it. And you know why they would never have done that? Because in the ancient world, a woman's testimony was absolutely worthless. So if they were concocting a story, they would not have put women as the first ones to discover the empty tomb and then to bring them the message. They would have just skipped that part of it. 
Some ask, well, then why did they put it? Well, they put it because this is actually what happened. But as you think on, as we just sort of move along in history with these men, you see, if the story was made up, the rest of their lives doesn't make any sense because they continued to hold tenaciously to this story to the very point of giving up their own lives for the story. Now, some have said, well, you know, there's lots of people in history that have given them, them given their lives uh, and dedicated themselves and even gone to, to the point of death for what wasn't true. But the difference is if, if they did that, they knew it wasn't true. Maybe you remember many years ago now, um, well, not that many, but quite a few years ago, there was the, the big Watergate scandal. And there was one man that was involved in that Watergate scandal. His name was Charles Colson. He was one of the cabinet members for President Nixon at the time. And through this whole process of being prosecuted and going to prison and so forth, uh, Charles Coulson became a believer. And he wrote about his own experience. And he said this. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured if that, if it were not true. Now he says this, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they could not keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So his own experience. You see, the, the objections, this is my point, the objections, they, when, you, when you really consider them, they, they just don't amount to anything really. And, and the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is overwhelming. And you probably have heard this, but there have been many people in history who have been opponents of the Christian faith and the gospel message and have gone on an actual mission to refute the resurrection, primarily because everybody understands that, that everything stands or falls on the resurrection, like we began uh, with. If, if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything he said is absolutely true and we need to give uh, the most earnest heed to it. If he didn't, then it's, it's inconsequential. So, so the people have known that. So they have, on occasion, different brilliant minds have sought to refute the resurrection and in the process have become convinced that the resurrection is a historical fact and they themselves have come to put their faith in the living Christ. So we've got the historical evidence. We've got the testimony of the ancient scriptures, the, the Old Testament scriptures that 
that prophesied that the Messiah would come into the world and that he would give his life as a ransom for sinners, that he would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And that because he would do this, God would uh, divide him a portion with the great. He would raise him up from the dead. So we have the ancient scriptures. We have the historical evidence. We have the eyewitness testimonies. And from the very beginning to this very day, we have the testimony of transformed lives. All of these things point to the reality of the resurrection. Just a couple of weeks ago, I read an interesting article in the New York Times online edition. And let me just read a couple of quick paragraphs to you. The, the, the writer says this. He says, when 22 Christian refugees gathered in the basement of an apartment in Istanbul early on a recent Sunday afternoon, it was quickly clear that this was no ordinary prayer meeting. Several of them had Islamic names. Two of them were actually named Muhammad. Strangest of all, they jokingly referred to their host, one of the two Muhammads, as an Irhabi, Arabic for terrorist. If Bashir Muhammad took the joke well, it was because there was once some truth to it. Today, Mr. Muhammad, 25, has a cross on his wall and invites other recent converts to weekly Bible readings in his purple-walled living room. Less than four years ago, however, he fought on the front lines of the Syrian civil war for the al-Nusra Front an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. He is, he says, a jihadi who turned to Jesus. You know, there are many, many of those stories that we're hearing about and we're gonna hear about many more. And and it's just consistent with what we've seen all throughout history. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then the transformation of the lives of those who believe that he did is really unexplainable. It makes no sense. And many of you know that by personal experience. But the fact is, the account that we read today in John, as well as the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, They are straightforward, matter-of-fact history. Christ did indeed rise from the dead, and he lives today, and and he is the explanation for those transformed lives. And and again, I want to close with this. Just think of the world if you take Jesus out. We live in an absolutely hopeless situation. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and if the Christian faith, the gospel is not true, our situation is absolutely hopeless. It's hopeless. There's no religious solution. There's no philosophical solution. 
we are left with the atheist position that basically nothing means anything and there's no purpose in life and we just live and we die and that's the end of it. But nobody in their right mind believes that's really true. Everybody deep down inside, even though people say that that's what they believe, they don't really believe it because there are things that they care about. There are things that they think are are meaningful. There are things that they're willing to fight for. But if the world is absolutely meaningless, then all of that is meaningless and worthless. You see, the, the wiser alternative, in my humble opinion, is that there is a God, and Jesus Christ is his son, and he did indeed die on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, but three days later, he rose again, and he lives today. And many of you know he lives because you know him. And I know he lives because I know him. But perhaps you're with us today and you don't know this living Savior. This God the Son who came from the Father, who loves you and died for you and rose again to conquer sin and death, who today wants to meet you and come into your life and give you hope and a future, transform you into the person that he intends for you to be, bless you here on earth, and ultimately receive you into heaven for eternity. If you don't know him today, oh, I urge you to open your heart. The Bible tells us as many as would receive him, as many as would receive this one who came into the world, and though the world was made by him, the world did not know him. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But as many as would receive him, to them he would give the right to become the children of God. And today, if you will put your trust in Jesus and receive him, you will become a child of God. And the glory of the resurrection will be the thing that will thrill your heart from this day forward. Lord, we thank you that you rose from the grave. We thank you, Lord, that you conquered death. We thank you, Lord, that you took away our sin. We thank you, Lord, that you are alive forever, that you have the keys of the grave and of death. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have the victory and you give that victory to those who trust in you. And Lord, I would just pray this moment this morning, if there are any with us that have yet to believe and receive, may they receive you now. May they open their hearts to you. And if you're with us today and you've never received Christ and you want to do that, You want that hope. You want to know that death will not have the final word.
You want to know a new life, a transformed life. You want to have confidence in the future. If that's you, I want you just to slip your hand up and want to pray for you. Anybody at all? Just slip that hand up there. Anybody at all? Anybody else? God bless you. And Father, we thank you for those that are indicating by that raised hand that they want your gift of eternal life that you purchased through Jesus our Lord who was delivered for our offenses but raised for our justification. And so, Lord, meet them today. Come into their lives. Be their Savior, their risen Savior. And Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. And as we go now, may our hearts be filled with joy as we worship you this day. We praise you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.